Hey, it's your pod Mike Shea with Sly Flourish, here with the Lazy D&D Talk Show. This is a weekly show in which we talk about all things Dungeons & Dragons. This show, like all of the work of Sly Flourish, is brought to you by the patrons of Sly Flourish. If you want to help shows like this, you can do so by going to patreon.com slash slyflourish and signing up. I wanted to offer up right at the beginning of the show a tip that I found, a, a trick that I found to be very valuable when using the D&D Beyond Encounter Builder. I haven't really been using the Encounter Builder. I haven't been as excited about it as a lot of people have because I have kind of, you know, as like many DMs, I have particular ways that I like to run my D&D games. And I'm pretty comfortable with like a text editor that I can do anything with. So tracking hit points and doing monster initiative and things like that. I do it in a text... I do it in a text window and that seems to be fine for me. But, you know, lots of people like tools to help them do D&D encounter building. And I've never been like, oh, it's terrible and no one should use it. It just wasn't for me. But they've added a couple of features where I'm like, okay, I can't ignore it anymore. These are, these are really cool. Uh, these are really cool features. So we will go to the encounter builder. And there's one that I want to talk about today, which really made a difference for me. It's one small nitpicky thing that I didn't like. And I then figured out a way to make myself like it or make myself like it better. And the example is, so we're going to create an encounter today. What, what will we have? We'll have, we'll just go with good old ghouls, right? Can't go wrong with ghouls. We're going to create a new encounter. We are going to be using my Sunday D&D campaign. So as long as this is launched within a campaign, it will keep track of the characters in that campaign, which is important for a couple of reasons. One, it matters when it talks about how hard the encounter is if you're using the math that's in here. And if you you might as well use the math that's in here. Like even with my Sly Flourish head-based encounter builder thing. If it's already doing the math, it's already doing the math. We're gonna add some ghouls. So we will add, I don't know, how many ghouls make sense? A pack of ghouls, 12, 12 ghouls, right? Oh, that's deadly. How deadly is it though? Adjusted to 6,000, a daily budget. So deadly is 3,000, adjusted XP is 6,000, but it's 2,400 and ghouls are significantly weaker than characters. So I don't know, we'll be nice. We'll knock it down to like 10. That gets it a little closer to the deadly budget, right? So we got our 10 ghouls. I guess for, for the sake of this, we're gonna have a smaller pack of ghouls. We're gonna go with six because of the thing I wanna show. So this is like a medium difficulty fight. They're walking through, they're going through some caves, they get attacked by some ghouls. The intention is not that it's a knockdown drag off fight. It's just a fun encounter that they could have. They can cast turn undead, they might turn them all, right? Who knows? It could be really fun. So we have our encounter, right? We, we have our six ghouls, we've added them in and we are going to save the encounter, right? And we have our six ghouls, we'll call it, you know, we'll, we'll edit the name of the encounter. Du, 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 ghoul fight. So now we have our little encounter, we've saved it. That's all cool, we've seen this before. And now we have, they have the paralyzed effect, but it rarely takes place. They get one attack, it's plus four, and then they have to fail a saving throw. So it's like, you gotta fail twice pretty badly before you're gonna get paralyzed. 12 would be dangerous, six, not so much. Then we run the encounter. So the cool bit with the running in the encounter is we now have all of our characters in here and we can put their initiatives and then we have the ghouls, right? And I'm just gonna pretend to do initiative here. So let's say 18, 13, uh, 22, 11, five and 16, right? Or whoops, 16. And then you have auto roll initiative for the ghoul. It would be really cool because it knows the characters are there. Why can't I auto roll initiative for all the characters too, right? Or why can't it automatically pull the initiative in that, that show up in the campaign in the campaign log and put it in there? Why do I have to do it manually? That's kind of a pain in the ass, but I bet you that's on their list and they'll fix that. Whatever, not worry about it. So we hit start. Oops, I didn't, I didn't, I didn't roll for the ghouls. Oh God, now I gotta do it again, don't I? Ah, boy, it'd be nice if, 
you know, it remembered this stuff, right? And then we auto roll for the ghouls, there's 17 and we hit start. So now we've got the initiative and you can go through the list. So one of the problems that I've run into, you know, you say, no, Auken does some stuff, Gorsum does some stuff, Perrin does some stuff. And then we go to ghoul A. So ghoul A is a really boring name for a ghoul, right? And it would be really cool if you could right click ghoul A and or something and rename it to mohawk ghoul or ghoul with an earring or ghoul with a caved in chest or something right to define these six ghouls that are here and in my games the trick that i use which helps bring players out of their character sheet gets them thinking a little bit creatively it almost always gets a good laugh and it just gives the players an opportunity to add some 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 agency to their own game is I say to them, what's an interesting physical characteristic of this ghoul that you damage? Usually it's when they do damage to it or if they attack it. What's an interesting characteristic of that ghoul? And they'll say things like it's got an earring or it's got a weird tattoos on its shoulder or it's missing part of its leg or its whole right arm is all the flesh is off of it. It's just a bony, muscly arm, right? So they come up with something. But the problem is like, so I might still ask that, but I don't know that the one, the ghoul with most of its arm missing is ghoul A, right? So now my new trick is I say, define an interesting characteristic of this ghoul that starts with the letter A, little Sesame Street action going on. And they'll be like, ah, uh, and I, I can't even think of something that has an A. Somebody come up with something that's got an A. What is an interesting physical characteristic of a ghoul? Yeah, something what arrow. He's got an arrow sticking through his shoulder, right? So you have ghoul with the arrow sticking through his shoulder. And then you say, you know, ghoul B. So what's an interesting physical characteristic of ghoul B, of this ghoul you're attacking that starts with the letter B? And they'll say bony protrusions. He's got bone, bone pieces sticking out of his body. You know, C, he's got, you know, he's clothed, you know, a, he's got a, you know, a cleaved chest. You know, D, you know, he's got, I don't, know. I don't know what you do for D, right? So each of them, but you, you ask the player because I don't, can't come up with all of these, obviously. So the interesting bit is then you go back and you say, oh, A, yeah, A was the one with the arrow sticking out of him. Ghoul B, that was the one with the bony protrusions. Ghoul C was the one with the caved in chest, you know? Ghoul D has droopy eyes, right? And so because your physical characteristics now match the letters that are in the combat encounter, you can remember them. And you're remembering them with a name with a, with a identifier that it connects them in the story. And that becomes really interesting. Oh, ghoul A, the one with the arrow sticking out of his head is the one that's lasting this long time. You can also say the one with his arrow sticking in the head and the one with the cloven chest both attack you. And then the theater of the mind, it's easier to remember, ah, oh, ghoul A and C are the ones that are attacking Ilda, right? So I ran this last time with some harpies and that that trick worked really well. And I, I you know, it's not as good as being able to rename them. I would really still like to be able to click these guys and rename them, but I can't. Right, not yet. I presume that option will be there. I actually talked to the DD Beyond guys and said, yeah, yeah, and that's, uh, I think they said something like, oh, it might be on the list. We're not sure it's on a list. So we'll see. But in the meantime, go with what you got. And, and using this for the encounter building and encounter running works pretty well. And, you know, it's the, the hit point thing is nice. You know, that all, that all works well. It can work with the dials too, because you can actually change if you say like, oh, I think we're going to, you know, we're going to give them more hit points, right? You can give like one ghoul more hit point. Ghoul A, the alpha, right? So that works really well. And the other, the other reason, the other thing that got me to now pay attention to the encounter builder in D&D Beyond is that if you have it connected through Avre, so there's a bunch of like things you have to connect together. You have to have your D&D Beyond account connected to your Discord account. Right, and you can Google this. There's instructions for how to connect Discord and D&D Beyond together. Once you have D&D Beyond and Discord connected, then 
And then you add the Avre bot to your Discord server. Avre is a bot, is a Discord bot that's run by the people that run D&D Beyond. So you have Avre in your D&D, in your uh, Discord D&D server. And then you connect the campaign by typing exclamation mark campaign and then the URL of your campaign in D&D Beyond. And it creates this backend pipeline where all of the stuff that's going on in D&D Beyond, Avre is aware of and Avre can pass through. And what that means is uh, you have this game log here where every time one of the characters rolls a die, you can see dice that they were all can roll to 20, right? And if I pull up a ghoul now and I say it tries to bite you, you know, I roll a bite attack. He rolls an, an 11. That doesn't hit. He then tries to claw you because I'm going to attack twice with my ghouls because I'm a dick, right? He claws you. This time he has a 13, also pretty terrible. But let's say he hit with that 13. You can then roll the damage right off the bat. He inflicts seven points of damage. But the cool bit is, so this was all the monster roll, right? And we can see that in the game log, actually, that should have been to everyone, right? Let's try that again. So ghoul attack. Oh, come on. I'm just gonna keep rolling until I hit. There we go. There's a 20 to hit, right? Inflicts seven points of damage with its claw attack, right? If we go to Discord, always dangerous to go to Discord on an open connection, but we'll do it. it says, be careful, you're streaming. Keep in mind you're streaming. So we go to the Sunday D&D game and you can see the ghoul attacks happened inside the chat, right? It passed it through. I didn't have to do any dice rolling in Discord and in the login Discord, it's passed it all through. So that to me was the like, okay, I need to start using the encounter builder because now we can have shared dice rolling among myself and the players, all of which can occur in D&D Beyond and all of which can then be passed through without any plugins, without any weird connections or anything like that, other than you need D&D Beyond, Discord, and Avre. And once you have D&D Beyond, Discord, and Avre all connected, all of these things smooth out. So that took me from the you know not using the encounter builder to now using the encounter builder and i i really dig it there's one trick and let's see i gotta bring up a new window and see if I can. yes so here is another trick what about passing initiative to the characters what about passing initiative to the players so they know what the initiative score is right that's really important unfortunately right now there is no way in DD beyond to pass this initiative that we have here to the players so I wrote a little JavaScript called the D&D Beyond Combat Tracker Initiative Parser. I will paste this in the links and hopefully I will remember to add this to the show notes so you can see it. If not, yell at me in comments and I will be sure to add it. And all you do with this is you go to your encounter builder here, right, where you're running it and you control A, copy everything. Don't try to select anything. Just control A, control C, paste the raw text of what you've copied and hit submit. And it gives you an initiative output right there, which you can drop right into Discord in Markdown. And it says, there's your initiative, right? So now I can pass. It shows what the scores were. It shows the order. It shows them in order, all pasted directly from the encounter builder. Obviously, I would really love it if Avre had a thing to do that, where it could look back at the encounter builder and say, here's the initiative. In the meantime, copying and pasting the page and pasting it into this form works fine, right? So again... You go to the URL for the for my D&D Beyond Combat Tracker Initiative thing, right? It's a little URL. It's, a P, it's actually a PHP script. I forgot. I wrote a PHP. I haven't written a PHP program in 20 years, but here we are. You go to your encounter builder. You just control A, control C, paste it all. It knows what to parse, and it pulls it out, and it gives you a nice text initiative output 
which you can paste directly into your Discord. So I think we've talked about that. The cool bit for me, the one thing that I want to pass along is that idea of monsters characteristics, where if you want to define a monster, if you, and you could, you don't even have to use like the encounter builder with this. If you have tokens on your table that are A, B, C, D, and E, you can still say A is the one with the arrow on his head. It makes me think that I'd rather have lettered tokens than numbered tokens to draw that connection between the number and the letter. I think I might have to redo my monster tokens to have letters on them so that we can have the letter is associated with the physical characteristic. It draws this really nice connection. If you are making tokens, that might be a reason to make tokens with letters rather than numbers, because then you can say A is the one with the arrow through. All right, so let us talk about some third-party products. The first product I wanna talk about today is the old school style, OSR style, game Mjorkberg. It is pronounced Mjorkberg, I am pretty sure. If ever you felt like Shadow of the Demon Lord wasn't really gritty enough and really didn't capture the kind of despair that you had hoped for in a game called Shadow of the Demon Lord, then Mjorkberg is your antidote. Mjorkberg is a game, I think it was made in Sweden, I think? Pell Nelson is the game designer, graphic design, Johan Njor. And, and dead people. And it is a short OSR RPG. I don't, does it even have page numbers? I think like page numbers are too, you know, too pedestrian for such a thing. So, oh, no, it does. It's about 70, <laughs> about 70 pages. And I really recommend, if you, if you dig this, get the physical version. It, this is like an you know, if we if we fell into the realm of artsy RPGs, this is an artsy RPG. It, it, it is an RPG that you don't necessarily need to play to really enjoy. And it is, I wanted to say like literally dripping with atmosphere, but that's not, it's not literally dripping, but it's certainly strongly figuratively dripping with atmosphere. The graphic design is incredible. And the style is a very lightweight, old school style RPG, D&D, oh, like, oh, you know, old school D&D. And it's got packs of random tables. And if you're familiar with me and what I dig, you know I love me some random tables, but I love random tables that have really interesting flavor to them. So like, take a look at the weather table, right? It's a D12 weather table. And it's not just like rain or snow, right? It's lifeless gray, hammering rain, piercing wind, deafening storm, Black as night, dead quiet, cloudburst, soup thick mist, crackling frost, irritating drizzle, roaring thunder, and grave like cold, right? These are all of the themes in here are really cool. You know, names, it's got a whole bunch of different names. Really, I mean, we're not even on page two, right? Of this awesome random corpse plundering, unmarked bottle with a liquid that shifts between red and green, you know, scalp with long hair. So, but the graphic design in this is amazing, right? Like it's one thing to have an RPG and this RPG is less about like its mechanics because the mechanics are really dirt simple and it's meant to be this grim, you're probably gonna die you're badly and early. You know, there is kind of a leveling, you know, it's got music. It is a black metal RPG. This is, this is built around the idea of a black metal RPG. If you went back into the late 80s and early 90s when people were talking about the Satanic Panic and you showed them this book, they'd, it'd be, they'd feel like they were right. You know, you, you would have a hard time defending this book back then. But it's freaking awesome. So really cool font style, 
you know, look at that. What's written, what was written must be, right? Easy to read too, because it's like, it's pretty short. There's not a lot of words in it, you know, per page. It's heavy on the graphic. Like, look at that, you know, just crazy good graphic design. It's got a world. There's your map, right? Very stylistic map. Really great art, amazing art. Just, you know, look at that. There we go, right? Beautiful imagery that really draws you in. So if you want like a turn the lights out, put the black light on, you know, stick on some of your, I don't know, black metal music. I don't know any black metal music. And really just, you know, well, I mean, you know, Nine Inch Nails isn't exactly black metal, but we'll go with Nine Inch Nails because I know it, right? You have low Nine Inch Nails in the background and play yourself like a really grim RPG. This could be a fun time, like weapons, right? The femur is the first weapon you have, you know? All the different weapon types. And this is cool. Like, this is your weapon table, right? And your weapon table is all this poor bastard who's been stabbed by everything. And it shows, like, what the stats are of different weapons based on which ones have been stuck into this poor dude, right? Just crazy awesome stuff. It's got adventures built in here. It's got adventure generators built in here. Beautiful, beautiful book. I really love it. Again, if you can get it, I picked up the physical version, right? And... I am totally happy I did. It's a cool book. It's short. It's got a nice ribbon. You know, it's an artifact you're going to want to have on your shelf forever. You know, look, it's got like, look at the, like the, you know, it's got like shining upside down golden crosses. Beautiful stuff. Pick it up. Mjorkberg, absolutely awesome. There's other reviews on YouTube about Mjorkberg too. I think uh, Professor Dungeon Master did a review of Mjorkberg. I think he loved it as much as I do. So, so check it out. It's really, it's really cool. Next, we have so so if you want an OSR style, but the but the you know the the grim, brutal black metal nature of Mjorkberg is too much, and you just want like I just want it the way it used to be. I want like what 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 was if you either you don't know what it was like or you remember it and you're like I'd like to play that. For me, like I knew it existed, but I never played it. A good way to get into like what the original OD and D style was is through a book that's pretty common called or pretty well known called Old School Essentials. They had a Kickstarter, but you can also buy their book. Like Mjorkbjerg, I recommend getting a physical version of the book. I picked up the Old School Essentials, a classic fantasy rules tome, right? It's a nice thick book. It's, it's you know, trade paperback size, easy to carry, really well done, thread bound, 300 pages roughly. And it's everything you need to play an OSR-style D&D game. Something that was like the original D&D. The original D&D. And we'll take a look through the table of contents, right? I can't remember how many levels it goes up to for the characters. There's a lot of expansions of it. So it looks like it goes up to 14th. I think it's the original one. So 14th level for... Yeah, 14th level for a lot of classes. And then your elf and dwarf and stuff are like lower lower level than that. So I forget like what, what books, I guess it, it's like BE or BX they call it, right? The, the, the basic and whatever the X was, right? The, B, the expert, basic and expert together. So not the champion masters and immortal sets from the original D&D box sets. This is, this is called a BX. I think that they even call it BX. They call it, I'm not an OSR guy, so I don't really know all the lingo and I'm sure, I'm sure I will be correct, but it is, yeah, it's covering like BX style rules, right? And so some, some things that are clear about BX is like races and classes are the same thing. So elf, dwarf, and halfling 
are classes like fighter, mage, and rogue are, right? So that's why your character, dwarf, cleric, dwarf, elf, fighter, halfling, magic user, thief. Very old school way of doing it. That what they did with this, and they, they describe what they did, is that their goal was to try to make the old, you know, stay as close to the old school rules as they could and still clean it up so that you could actually run it. Because there was a lot of goofy stuff back then that wasn't explained well and it was hard to figure out. And they cleaned it up. And I, you know, reading, giving it a good read, I was like, yeah, I can, I could see playing this. There were some interesting things that they did. They didn't, they, 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 they hedged their bets on ascending versus descending AC and attack rolls, right? So if anybody in the know that remembers, you know, the, the BCMI first edition, second edition rules for D&D is your attack score, I'm going to get this wrong. Attack score went up, but armor class went down. So a creature with a lower armor class was harder to hit than a creature with a high armor class. AC definitely started around 10 and could go down into the negatives. Uh, like negative 10 was considered really hard. And what you did is you subtract the armor class from the attack score of the character, and that told you what you had to roll on a die. So if your attack score was 12 and the guy had an armor class of four, you had to roll, you, you would subtract four from 12 and that was eight, and then you roll and have to roll an eight or above. I almost... My brain almost tripped. A lot of people don't dig descending armor classes. They like ascending armor classes. They like, a, you know, plus bonuses for attack and, and armor class, just like we have in 5th edition and things like that. And in this book, they hedged the bet. So if you go down, we'll, we'll go right down to a monster. It's got all this stuff. The art is really cool. It's very old school, line drawn art, really neat stuff. So here's an example. It has the average hit points is already listed. Oh, no. So, yes. So, AC 6 is if you're using the negative armor class. AC 13 is if you're using the positive, right? And it, that's why it has, it has both listed in here, right? If we have, like, a particularly tough creature here, let's look. You notice, like, no descriptions of the monsters. So, they're kind of expecting you know what these things are, which is kind of interesting. A chimera, right? AC 4, which is kind of low. AC is 15 if you're doing ascending armor class. So... It's old school style stuff. But if you wanted to see what like BX was like, this is, I think, the best way to get into the BX stuff that I have seen. There's a lot of different BX clones out there. But I really found like the work that they did to clean this up. They've, you know, ne Necrotic Game, ne Necrotic Gnome is the publisher on this. And it is a really, you know, good, really good art, you know, two, you know color, full color two page art in many circumstances. The, the physical version, you know, beautiful kind of beautiful stuff in here. The physical version is really nice and I think worth picking up. And it's just, a, it's cool from a classic standpoint to have like, we have all our new 5e stuff, but then we also have our, our you know, you know just, just to kind of remember the way it was. This is a good way to remember the way it was without having to necessarily buy the, all the original stuff, which is kind of hard to read and the typesetting's not great and everything like that. So I really dig it and I, and I recommend it. It is a fun, it is a fun product to have on one's shelf. It's also cool because you, you kind of think like whatever happens with fifth edition, no matter what kind of happens in this industry, I've got this book and I can grab four friends and some dice and this book and play D&D and I don't need anything else, right? And that's a cool feeling, right? You could do that with fifth too. Like I got all my fifth edition books right here and we could play fifth edition the same way. But it's kind of neat that it's like it's completely separate from whatever Wizards of the Coast does, has no association with them or anybody else. And it's one book and you're ready to go and you're playing D&D like we were playing D&D 50 years ago. That's a pretty cool feeling. So I recommend it. Let me check out some questions here while I grab a drink. Briefcase says it reminds the design of the rules, the rule cyclopedia. I like this. I have the rule cyclopedia over there on my on my on my desk. I like this better. I think it's it's clearer in how it runs. 
Everything in one book, really cool. Yes, this is all OD&D stuff. Yeah, we talked about Thacko. Oh yeah, Thacko. OSR is old school renaissance, I think is the most common term. And it's people, there's a whole bunch of drama about this too. It's people that like D&D to be the way it used to be. But there's there's a fair bit of drama involved in that. And I'll let you go research that. I'm not gonna talk about drama on that. Justin Alexander has been doing readings of the old school D&D books on his Twitch. That's very cool. Old school essentials uses both Thacko or ascending AC, ascending attack, you know, bonuses in here. So it uses both. And I thought that was interesting that they said, we're going to do both. They could have just picked one and gone with it. They chose to do both. And I'm sure they thought long and hard about it. And it's fine. Like it doesn't confuse things. It adds text. But uh, yeah, to each their own. So I'll give it, uh, yeah, on a, a, a thought about like OSR and OSE and stuff like this. And actually, well, I'll, I'll, I'll say it after my, my next review, which is one that I've talked about before. And that is, let me pull it up here. This is 5e hardcore mode. Again, I'm, I guess I'm just copying Professor Dungeon Master because I know he reviewed this too. 5e hardcore mode is made by Runehammer Games. Yes, sorry. So Runehammer Games is the company that made uh, 5e hardcore, hardcore mode. And Runehammer, Runehammer also makes Index Card RPG, which is also worth checking out. I was particularly interested in this. It is a, uh, a bestseller on drive-thru RPG. And it is an example. It's kind of the only example I've really seen or popular example I've seen of a sort of a 5e wrapper right? It's sort of a, a document that sits on top of your existing core books, modifies some things slightly. It doesn't replace anything that you've got, but it modifies things to get a different style of game out of your 5e, out of your 5e experience. And I really dig that idea. I think that's a powerful idea. And I'd love to see more stuff like this, where it's like, it's almost like a package of house rules, right? It's like, here's a bunch of different ways that you can kind of change how 5e runs to get a different style. And particularly, I would say to change D&D 5e into a game that's more like the old school BX games. So, you know, brutal, hard stuff is is really a focus on it. It's a short document. It's only 38 pages. Again, really cool art and style, very reminiscent, not almost Mjork Bjergi, you know, really, really neat stuff. And it talks about like, what's the hardcore, you know, obviously it's called 5e hardcore. So you can guess what it's about, right? It's about, about grim, rough, you're going to die sort of stuff. And it's got a lot of different features that it's got. It talks about how, you know, how to kind of change the heroes, 3D6 down the line, skilled and unskilled, you know, all, all sorts of like different ways to sort of modify the characters. I think this is one that limits the characters to level 10, I think. So one way of obviously simplifying your D&D is knock the levels down so you don't have a level, level or above, right? I don't know if it, yeah, spells, not slots. So we can look at that a little bit. Then I I'm always interested in the, what is the change in the DM side? Like what's the real challenge rating of something? How do you do monster AI, environment, hordes? You know, really kind of neat stuff like this. And, and it's got a really good take on this idea. I'm much, I'm probably more interested in how they put this together than I am in actually like running it this way. Cause it's not my style of D&D. And I don't think it's the style of D&D that my players would really enjoy. But I like that it exists, and I and I know there are players who would like this. And if there are people out there who are like, you know, I just find the high fantasy version of D and D to be kind of too much and too complicated, and you want something stripped down, you know, this is where you go, right? Roll hit, you know, cross hit dice once, even at first level, no modifiers, right? Hit dice replace all, so your your hit points are flattened way out. You know, feats and skills and other abilities are compressed into an on-off bonus system. You're either skilled or not, 
right? So and this one page kind of covers a lot of this, right? It has this interesting like save point so that like if you all get wiped out in a battle, you all return to the save point and you can try it again. Yeah, so Rakam says this feels like Darkest Dungeon meets D&D. I think that's very... I think that's apt. I think that's a good a good description. Of course, it has one of my favorite things, which is zones. You know that that you have instead of distances being fixed, you have you have zones. And I think there's like things that are near and things that are far, right? I, I, great, great system. Uh, really interesting horde system, which they don't they don't talk about in this summary. But the horde system is essentially like for every monster added to the horde, you add one to the attack bonus and one to the damage. And then for the number of monsters that are destroyed, you take the damage that comes in and divide it by some number, and that's how many are destroyed on a hit, which is an interesting style, very fast and rapid. And you can imagine like where, you know, where hordes of things, if you have 10 skeletons attacking you, they're plus 14 to hit and they do plus 15 damage. And then when you hit them, you say you'd seven damage came in, we're going to divide everything by three. So you'd say like, whatever, seven divided by three is like two. See, so two of the skeletons are destroyed on a hit, right? And that lowers the thing. So interesting way, fast way of running hordes. I really dig it. <clears throat> so it's cheap. I think it's five bucks on, on DriveThruRPG. If you want like a, hey, what's an interesting wrapper? And of course, this one, like all of them, you can sort of pick and choose what things work well. There's some things where like their expectation of the, uh, that heroes are significantly weaker than they are in typical 5e. So like they have a whole different way of looking at monsters. Like I think they redo, I gotta find it here. They redo all of the monster math. So you, you no longer use the amount of damage. Where is it here? Yeah, you no longer use whatever the stat block says. You instead say, you're, you're, you, you pick a challenge rating, right? Hardcore prizes, monster challenge rating above all else besides immunities. All of its stats can be derived on the fly by knowing its challenge rating. The monster manual is still critical for details, but stats are solved in one stroke. AC is 10 plus CR. Hit points are 10 times CR. Checks and attacks are D20 plus CR. XP value is CR times 200, right? So your challenge rating defines everything. Attacks, damage. Uh, I guess the damage is, you don't modify the damage by this. I think, I guess you still use its damage. Yeah, and Rakam says 29 AC for a pit fiend. Checks out. Yeah, and you're not fighting a pit fiend in this because you only go to level 10. So, you know, keep in mind because of the because of the cut. Really cool product. I dig it. I, I go back to this a lot. Like, again, I don't run it. But I go back to it a lot and I study it. And I'll be honest, like when I'm when I'm working on the Lazy DMs Companion, this is one of the inspirations that I have is thinking about how the Lazy DMs Companion can do things like this. It's not taking any direct mechanics from this. It's my own stuff. But I like this style and I like the idea, like what's a wrapper for D&D that makes it different to run? In this case, it's hardcore. In my case, it's making it easier and faster and more focused on the story. I think there's different ways that we can put wrappers around D&D to make it different things. So one of the things that occurs to me, though, when I look at 5e hardcore mode is that, like, it's kind of baked into D&D already. That if you want to have a more classic feel to D&D, you can do so with a few things. And most of them are remove the optional rules, right? There's a lot of optional rules that we take for granted in 5e. Feats are an optional rule. Multiclassing is an optional rule, right? If you get rid of feats and multiclassing, you know, you're um, automatically reducing all of the power that the characters can 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 get to, right? That that that's definitely gonna have a more classic feel just off the bat. And then if you limit the levels and say we're only going up to level six, right, or level seven, that is gonna have a more of a classic feel. And then if you say like we're only gonna have certain classes and certain certain subclasses, right? If you limit the subclasses to particular ones on the DM side, say these are the sub, you know, these are the classes that are allowed. These are the subclasses that are allowed. You're gonna be able to tune the game to get a certain feeling to it, right? 
And I think you can do all of that with just the player's handbook, right? You don't have to change a whole lot. And in fact, I bet a lot of the game is more balanced when characters have these limitations in place. But I go back to, if you're playing fifth edition, a lot of people want those options. They want feats. They want subclasses. They want this extra stuff. And like, that's not as enjoyable. The game won't be as enjoyable if they're that limited. So you might try it for like a short campaign and see how it, see how it feels. But in a lot of cases, like going back to like old school essentials or hardcore mode is like, if you want a feeling like this without going to a whole new system, you can do it with 5e. You just, all you do is put some, some little breakers in place, some little, little, you know, just change it up a little bit. So yeah, so those are three. And now I wanna talk about two 5e products from two different publishers. The first is from uh, 2C Gaming, and this is the Total Party Kill Bestiary 2. I talked to my friend Ryan and said, which of the products that 2C Gaming put out that is out now that people can buy are you like most proud of and you really feel like, you know, best shows off what your company can do. And he said the TPK Bestiary Volume 2. And I said, cool, I've got that, right? Because I buy all their stuff. If you want, so, so what I really dig about 2C Gaming and how they look at this problem is they are not binding themselves to the design of 5e monsters that exists in official 5e products, right? Official D&D products. They try their own things and they test their own things. And they're particularly focused on big, badass monsters that are gonna scare the hell out of your high level characters. So you think about OSR and you think about hardcore mode and the fact that it has this level cap of 10. The other direction is what if you're level 17 or 18, your you know, characters are very high power. They have all these things. And if you play by the book, they're gonna destroy everything in their path. Deadly encounters are not deadly at all. For, for high level characters at D&D, according to the encounter building rules that are in the DMG, they're gonna get wiped out, those poor monsters. And boss monsters are gonna get wiped out. You get, you've got monks running around attacking four times and doing stunning strike on every one of the attacks, right? Crazy stuff that happens. The, T, the TPK Bestiary 2, again, by 2C Gaming, has a wide diverse set of authors who have written for it, a uh, bunch of different people that have, that have worked on it and tons and tons and tons of different monsters. It is a 300 page book. So what I really dig about this book is that they, they take a unique style when looking at monsters and they particular, they talk a lot about the design, right? High level play and lady luck, you know, lots of different little breakout boxes of things. And you notice that like the challenge rating, the lowest one is four. So this is a high level book, right? And it has total party kill in the name. So you can guess what they're kind of aiming for. And they have added in these like classifications of elites, brutes, controller, lurker. A lot of people dig this. Yeah, I don't need it so much, but it's not, you know, not everything's for everybody. And, and boy, look at the high level stuff. They get really far into high level, high level monsters all the way up to 30. The, the Erkling is a CR 30 or Desroot. And cool art, right? Neat, neat art. And then a lot of like how to run these things, ecology, and then monster designs themselves. And there's a lot of interesting, I'm not, I don't, I don't have a great one to pull off offhand of, of the kind of things where they have changed the tactics. We'll, we'll look at one of the bigger ones. Let's, let's take a look at like one of their big ass monsters here. Let's go to that, where's that CR list? I'm gonna pick one that I, I, I kind of runs out and grabs me. Tide Elemental, Bethrix. Oh, those are not the high ones here. I have the Deep Hellfire Worm. Here's like a Prime Evil. Let's go with that guy. Let's see if we can find that dude. 
whoops, it's 85 pages with that guy. I think that was the right one. So here's an example of like a CR 26 monster, right? And you have damage immunities, condition immunities, evil prevails when a creature, the Melodarcius can see, I can't pronounce that, Malacarnus, Malacarnus can see, succeeds on a saving throw, and the Malacarnus can force it to fail a saving throw. Whoa, it's like reverse. And I think somewhere in here are different ways that these monsters have, they, they can get rid of, yeah, mythic resistance. When the, when the Malacarnus fails a saving throw, it can expend one of its unspent legendary actions to succeed instead. Right, so it can use, that means it's got more than three legendary resistances. It's got legendary resistances that reset. It just loses an action to do so, right? Really cool. And so a lot of interesting design ways that are dealing with the well-known problems of things like force cage or things that don't require a saving throw. How does it still operate when, when these are out? And it does result in big stat blocks. Look at these, look at that crazy art, right? It does result in big stat blocks for these guys. These are called Protean Initiate. And the Initiate's only CR 10 with 200 hit points. So these guys are gonna hit way harder than your, here's a CR 22, right? Another legendary. So these guys are gonna hit significantly harder and, and, and challenge your characters much more than the characters, than the creatures that you would find in the monster manual or in official D&D products. So you want to keep that in mind. But if you want to see, like, if, if you're ever like, man, I just can't find monsters that are really challenging my party, this is the book you want to pick up. And there's a lot of good advice in here on, like, how, to, how the design works out, which means you can sort of carry that over into the games that, that you like. Really, look at this, 445 hit points of CR17. That's serious, right? 42 damage, right? Seize, 42 points of damage. That's one you know, normal creature. Really, really cool stuff. So I highly recommend picking up the Total Party Kill Bestiary Volume 2. It is a really cool book. I think I want to get, because it's 300 pages and because monster books, it's like nice to hold them in hand. I think I want to buy a physical copy of this and I haven't, I haven't yet. But you can get the PDF as well if you want to check it out. Ryan Service, my, my pal. The last product I want to review today is The Dreaded Accursed by Nord Games, another monster book. What I dig about, dig about this book is it focuses exclusively on undead. Now, unlike the, the Total Party Kill Bestiary 2, this book focuses on undead and it is more of your traditional monster design in it. So really cool monsters, but they're, they didn't like redesign entire mechanics around monsters to, that, that fit the style. They, they are using the standard encounter and monster building guidelines. But what I dig about is they have just all different kinds of undead monsters of all different types, you know, and you know, new vampires, new liches, you know, lycanthropies, all these really cool stuff, beautiful artwork. I do have a hardcover version of this book and it is a really good looking book. I highly recommend it and just, yeah. So the ultimate bestiary focuses on undead and we were gonna talk about vampires. Look at that art. Vampires. So lot. look at that. Lots of cool description. Beautiful art, man. Isn't that art great? Cool, you know, cool descriptions of vampires and stuff that are going on here. Neat line art drawings, role play opportunities, vampiric encounters, how they deal in combat. And then you have like vampire fledglings, which is pretty powerful. I guess that's like not you know, higher than a vampire spawn. Pretty cool. You have Dampiers, which of course now we have as a player character race. We have Vampire Night Stalkers, CR10. I bet these guys hit harder than the Nosferatu does. Let's take a look. Where, where, is, it, where is its attack? There it is. 
plus nine to hit. Makes three attacks, one with the bite and two with his claws. Nine to hit, 12 slashing damage, and the target is grappled. Okay, plus nine to hit, six plus 10 necrotic. Eh, it's a little light. Yeah, a little light for, for, for damage. Vampire Pack Runner, kind of neat. Vampire Noble, right? Now we're getting into higher CR vampire. Ancient Vampire, CR 21s, right? Really, now we're getting it. Look at that guy, right? Very cool. So neat, you know, lots and lots of cool undead monsters in this book, you know, all different kinds, vampires, whites. And I like that idea. I like the idea of having a book that's exclusively focused on a particular type of monster and then says, we're going to run with monsters this way. Nord Games did a really cool job putting together a book of undead. It's, it's a book. It's been out for a couple of years now and I've had it and I regularly go back and kind of look through it and, and let my mind run free. One of the things I've been working on this past week is in the D&D, and, and sorry, in the Lazy DMs Companion, I'm gonna have, I have a one-page thing for Encounter, the Deadly Encounter Benchmark, which you've heard me talk about before. I've got a couple other videos about it. I've talked about it on uh, Sly Flourish and stuff like that. But something occurred to me when we were talking about the lack of damage that monsters have at higher tiers. And what occurred to me is that, so the Lazy, the Deadly Encounter bar Benchmark the whole lazy encounter system is you start off with what monsters make sense for the situation, given the situation that's occurring, including the types of monsters and the number of monsters. And then you try to determine whether or not you, you're in deadly territory or not. And you can determine if you're in deadly territory with the following equation. Uh, a battle may be deadly when the sum total of monster challenge ratings is equal, is greater than one quarter of the sum total of character levels or one half if those characters are above fifth or fifth level or above. So, you know, you got three ogres fighting four third level characters, four, three, four third level characters, quarter of that, a quarter of their sum total character levels is three. Three ogres are definitely gonna be deadly because that's six. That's almost twice as much as you should have. So in, in your head, you can be like, yeah, I can see what's deadly and what's not. Two ogres would probably be in the edge of deadly, probably doable. One ogre is more appropriate for, for four third, three level, third level characters. What happens when you get to higher than 10th level, right? And the answer is like, at that point, monster damage is really not keeping up with characters' ability to mitigate. And monsters have a much lower level of survivability against characters than they normally would, even, at, even when you account for their challenge rating, which means the equation changes again. And what I realized is that at, where it's a quarter of character level is deadly at first to fourth level, tier one, Five, at five to 10th level, it makes sense that half of your character level, that, that, that sort of steps it up. So that means more monsters, it takes more monsters to reach that deadly level. I would say that it's three quarters from 11th to 16th level, and it's equal to 17th and above, which means if you have five 17th level characters, let's get a calculator here. I'm not, I'm not doing that in my head. If you have five 17th level characters, Oh God, I can't do this. 17 times five. Oh, you know what's going on? I'm like, stupid. I jam my controller under and then nothing, nothing works. So that's 85, right? So you're like, wow, that's a lot of CRs, right? Like, especially when your dragons are like CR 26. But a CR 26 ancient worm is not gonna challenge five 17th level characters. But a CR 26, if you subtract 26 from that, you have a CR 26 ancient red dragon and you have almost 60 CRs left, that's 12 fire elementals. So if you have a ancient red dragon plus his 12 fire elemental friends in a battle, 
that is going to be a hard fight for uh, five 17th level characters. Because 20 fire elementals, there's a lot of fire elementals. Those guys do a lot of damage. They have a lot of hit points, right? And you can imagine, like, that's a pretty fun fight. Like, what if the dragon's controlling all of these elementals and sending them in waves against the characters, right? How many pit fiends, or how many balors? That's like three balors, right? So 85 is more than three balors. You could do almost four balors against four, five 17th level characters. That's a deadly fight. But if you think about it, that's probably about right. Because 17th level characters have tons of stuff at their disposal. So, yeah, I, I actually think that it steps up and it steps up again. And, and that slider is something that a DM is going to have to keep an eye on, right? Like maybe it, it's too deadly. Maybe it's way above deadly. And, you know, you'll find out. But I have a feeling that at, at, from 10th to, you know, from, from 11th to 16th level and from 17th to 20th level, that the one half character level is not enough. And three quarter character level and equal to character level probably fits better. So I'm going to offer that as sort of an optional rule in the lazy DM companion encounter building thing that like, you know, if, if you, if, if, it, if the deadly benchmark is no longer serving you well, and it turns out they, you have battles that are considered deadly, but they're still kicking their asses. Turn that dial up, turn it up to three quarters, turn it up to one. And as soon as you turn it up to like three quarters and one, like one is really hard. You know, as we said, like five seventeenth level characters has a, a deadly threshold of 85, 85 challenge ratings. And what that also tells you is there is no solo creature that is really going to challenge level seven, a group of level 17 characters, right? No one monster is really going to be able to. But a monster with like a bunch of other dudes, an example was, I think I had 14th level character facing Imrith, an ancient blue dragon. And I had her with a simulacrum, a simulacrum of herself. So there was two ancient dragons in one fight. You know, that's 40 something CRs, right? And, and that was about right. You know, that, that actually turned out to be a good one. Add 12 fire elementals to any fight to make it challenging. Yeah. And that idea of add monsters, right? Add monsters is an easy way to go. So that's, that's kind of the, the, you know, the fifth dial, right? Your, your, your dials of monster difficulty, you know, you're, you're, you turn that one up, turn the encounter one up. And now it's like one quarter for low level characters, half for medium level characters, three quarters for high and, and all the way up for, for the most, you know, I think that, 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 that really works. That sort of mixes up this idea of the dials. The dials of monster difficulty are hit points, damage, number of attacks, and number of monsters, right? And, and that number of monsters, then you tweak in that dial for what's, how many monsters is deadly, right? That's the fifth dial. It's probably a bad way of putting it. This past Wednesday, I returned, my wife and I returned to our one-on-one D&D game. I've talked a lot about one-on-one D&D games in other videos. And the main thing is like, do it, man. Like one-on-one D&D games are really fun. It's a different way of playing D&D. It reminded me again of this different style of playing D&D that is no less fun than playing with a group. It is, it has advantages, which is you can focus the whole game around one character. And that is, being able to laser focus a story like that is really, really cool. There's a lot, it's fast right? Because <clears throat> turn transaction, everything is really fast. So that works really well. Yeah. It's a, it's a really fun way to play D and D. And there's a lot of good r ideas and rules for how to play one-on-one D and D. I think Tosh, does Tasha's have one-on-one rules? I don't know if Tasha's does, but the Dragon of Ice Fire Peak does. And it's, and it's worth, if you're going to play one-on-one, pick up Dragon of Ice Fire Peak and run that way. It works, works really well. And it just reminded me how much fun it is to have a, a, a game like that, where you're sharing it with one other person and you're doing stuff. And 
I, the weirdest, it, it feels before you play. And then when you play, it's like playing D&D. It feels like it's going to be strange. And it's not. It's not strange. It's just fun. So all I can recommend, the number one recommend is just find somebody that wants to do it, agree to do it, and sit down and play for an hour. And an hour-long one-on-one D&D game, you can get a lot of things done. And it's really, really a good, really, really a good time. And I highly recommend it. And it was fun to do. So we did it because our Wednesday game was off this week. And we played on, I said, I still want to play D&D. We played one-on-one. And we did. And we played for like an hour and a half. And we got a lot done. It was really cool. Saw some stuff. And it was just a really good time. And the other thing is, it was the first time I've been back to the table without any electronic stuff. I said, I'm not going to do it with my laptop like I've done typically. I'm going to do it with just the books. And that was weird. I'm like, I don't even know what I need. Like, I don't remember what I should have on the table, right? And I'm like, I guess I'll grab some three by five cards and a Sharpie. And I did. And we played D&D and it was great, right? It really worked well. So really, really fun time. And I, and I highly recommend it. And yeah, it was that it's going to be strange getting back to a physical game table again, right? Like my Wednesday group, I think we're right on the edge of, of, of having everybody come back and, and, and try playing D&D at the table again. And it's going to be it's going to be strange. I'm so used to playing online now. I've played hundred, more than 100 games online in the past year and whatever. I think well more than 100 games. And it's going to be really strange going back to books and dice and tables and all that. And I'm looking forward to it, but it's also a little like, man, I don't remember what I'm supposed to do. So really, really kind of fun stuff. I think that is it for the Lazy D&D Talk Show. I want to thank all of the folks in Twitch for hanging out. For those of you watching on YouTube or listening on the podcast, thank you very much for watching the show. I hope you enjoyed it. If you did, there are four things you can do to give back if you like. One is subscribe to the Sly Flourish newsletter. Two is subscribe to me on YouTube. Three is support the show on Patreon by going to patreon.com slash slyflourish. And four, you can pick up my book, Return of the Lazy Dungeon Master. So thank you very much for listening to the show today and have a great day.